Welcome back to episode 5 of the After Dark Podcast, Coast to Coast Killers. Today's episode, before we jump into it, is going to be a viewer's discretion advised. It does talk about rape a lot. Um, So if you're offended by that, then... Or you are sensitive to it. It's okay. That's why we put these out here. Before we actually move on to the episode. And what we are going to talk about. You can follow me if you want. On our Facebook page. After Dark Podcast. Coast to Coast Killers. I've been posting a lot of updates on there. For example from now to October we have three or four new series coming up two of them are mini series but they're going to be interesting without further ado let's talk about the Honolulu Strangler What makes this case really, really special is how he chose the victims, not just how he chose them, where he placed them, and we'll get into some more of that in a little bit, but not just that, it's the entirety of how he could get away with doing something in really popular places. We think of Hawaii and Honolulu as a place of paradise where you can go to vacation, where you can enjoy yourself out of the sun and get a tan in your bikini or have few drinks at a beach bar but we don't necessarily think about a serial killer roaming around paradise like last time we are going to start with the victim the first victim is Vicky Gale Curdy in order to understand her story, let's go back to a little bit before she went missing. She was 25, was in the Air Force, had a military spouse, who was an Army helicopter pilot. On May 29th, 1985, she had left to go clubbing in Waikiki, but failed to meet her friends. She was last seen by the taxi driver, who drove her to the Shore Bird Hotel at midnight. Apparently, she wanted to retrieve her car, according to the driver, but unfortunately, she was later found in the hotel parking lot. When she was found, or her car was actually found in the parking lot, my bad. When she was found though, 
she was found in a really popular place and it wasn't probably popular at that time due to the fact it was early morning but she was found at the Kihai Lagoon if you don't know what that is it's a really popular tourist attraction that has beach bars it has parties has loads and loads of people her hands were bound behind her back she was found to be raped and strangled her husband told police he suspected her death to be associated with a video retail store that had handled porn films at the same retail store um, two women were stabbed to death one year earlier same with every single victim they were raped and strangled keep that in mind When we understand more, you understand who this killer may be. Keep in mind, it is still unsolved. Second victim was Regina Sakamoto. She was 17, attending high school. She had missed her bus to school on January 14th, 1986. She was last heard from by her boyfriend at 7.15 a.m. when she called to tell him she would be late. On January 15th, her body was found also at the Kihai Lagoon. She was wearing her blue tank top and white sweatshirt but her, lower, her lower body was unclosed. Her hands bound behind her back. And as stated before, she was also raped and strangled. She had plans to attend the Hawaii Pacific University in the fall. When Regina was murdered, police was starting to suspect this is the same person. It's a killer that killed Vicky. They haven't exactly thought it was a serial killer yet, but they realized the similarities. They started to suspect it. Regina was missing for a month. In February 1986, once again she was found. She was small and petite, and she was noticeably shorter and thinner than Vicky. Regina was also a Hawaii transplant, who had been born in Kansas. She also had 
the Japanese surname from her stepfather, which was also a military serviceman, Maurice Sakamoto. By all accounts, Regina was a shy and quiet girl. So she didn't really know much people, and that, that that's kind of the thing where, you know, she would probably just go to school, come back, go to her boyfriend's, hang out there, hang out with her family. She stayed very subtle to herself. To think that someone could, or someone did murder her. I'm not saying it's strange, I'm not saying it's odd. What I am saying though, is that she is probably still waiting for the bus in time of desperate need and as we heard and learned from other previous podcasts victims are vulnerable when they need help when they need to get from point A to point B in time. I'm not saying that's how the killer did it. I'm not saying the killer convinced her to take her to school. It seems very possible that's the only way the killer could have done it. The third victim is Denise Hugs, and I know I pronounce probably both of them, probably Denise Hugs. The third victim, age 21, she worked as a secretary for a telephone company um, who also commuted by bus, probably a different bus though, not a school bus, probably just transit, and she attended church pretty active in it. She did not show up to work though January 30th. She was found dead not at the, the lagoon but at the Manala stream. I know I butchered that name. And she was found by three young fishermen on February 1st. She was decomposing already though, but she was closed and blue dressed, wrapped in a blue tarp, and her hands were bound. She was sexually assaulted and strangled. On February 5th, February 5th, a serial killer task force was established. And I pulled up both locations to see how close those two locations of the three victims are the Lagoon Beach Park ideally you could probably walk to you could probably bike to it from the stream now you could do the same thing from the stream and go to the Lagoon Park if you drove you could easily get there because both are located on two different highways. 
The stream is located off of Highway 201 and the Lagoon Beach Park is off of Highway 1. Both highways connect and then Highway 1 becomes Highway 201 going southbound. If you go north after crossing you get to the stream. So that's how close they are. You could literally get there by walking or biking without having to drive. And I want you to keep this in mind as I was researching the stream as of July 1st, 2020, according to Hawaii News Now, this stream is becoming a huge problem for crime. Residents are saying that the stream is attracting a dangerous crowd. And we we are seeing this before they said this. We are seeing this years ago. We are seeing this in the 80s. It's already attracted crime. But it's growing in crime today. The fourth victim was Luis Majoros, age 25. She lived in Wapu, but had gone to Kau to meet her extended family. Once again, I did probably butcher both. Sorry for that. Um, to meet her extended family because of the death of her mother. From there, she took a flight back on March 26th and told her family she would get home by bus from the airport. She dismarked, dismarked the plane and disappeared. Her decomposing body was found April 2nd. Not at either places, but by Wakili stream. She was found by road workers. She was wearing her blue or her blouse and her lower body body was unclosed. Her hands were bound behind her back. How the police did their operations they used police women. They put police women around the lagoon and the Honolulu International Airport. Now, I'm going to start before I get to the last victim because I'm going to go back. The reason I'm doing that is it seems like almost every single victim so far, except for Vicky, took a bus. It may not have been a school bus. Like Regina, but Dennis, or yeah, Dennis and Louise had plans to take the bus as well. But unfortunately, Louise didn't get to the bus. 
didn't even take the airplane and then she just disappeared. We see that the killer is going in a younger age. We can see the youngest age being 17. And the old, this age is the last victim, which she was 36. So he's going for a younger, more vulnerable population. The killer also went for people that needed help or in Hug's case it just doesn't make sense but these are all connected ultimately Somewhere along the line, the killer probably didn't know how to lure in his victims, or her victims, I don't know, the killer hasn't been caught. Let's continue with the last victim. Her name is Linda. She's the fifth and last known victim of the Honolulu Strangler. She was 36. She left home on the morning of April 29th, according to her roommate. She was expected to be home late that evening due to a pre-scheduled work meeting. The next morning, after being told that Linda had not shown up for work and that her car was parked on the side of the Nimitz H1 viaduct, her roommate reported her missing. A man named Howard Gay told police a psychic told him a body would be located at Sand Island. On May 3rd, he took police to an exact location, only there was nothing there. Police then did search the entire island and did find Linda's body. Unlike how they were mainly clothes, she was completely nude, but her hands were still behind her back, tied. We see all these similarities. Each victim was tied up, killed at some point, probably not right away, maybe, I don't know, raped on thrown in these locations that literally are within distance of each other. Let's go on to the investigation. The police department had established a 27 person serial killer task force on February 5th. The FBI and the Green River Task Force did help. The killer's profile was that of opportunists who attacked women who were vulnerable. Like I said, bus stops, he's not the, he or she is not the type that stalked victims. 
also more likely lived or worked, or even both, I guess, in the area of the attacks. Like I said, each one you can get to in no time wouldn't take you a full day. It wouldn't take you more than a day to get to each area. Police did set up roadblocks at the time of Linda's murder to question frequent commuters. Witnesses came forward saying that they had seen a light colored van and a Caucasian or mixed race man with Linda's car. Following the discovery of her body, police arrested Howard Gay, once again the person that said they were a psychic, as the primary suspect, they arrested him on May 9th. The suspect's ex-wife and girlfriend described him as a smooth talker. They also provided a potentially incriminating fetish clue, as both recalled engaging in bondage activity, allowing him to tie them up and have sex with their hands bound behind the back. His girlfriend related that on nights after they had fought, he would leave the house and that these were the same nights the murders had occurred. The suspect lived in Iwa Beach and worked as mechanic at one of the air freight carriers. Between 8 p.m. and 3 a.m., the suspect was interrogated. He did fail a polygraph test, but unfortunately the police did release him, which I don't know how that works, if I guess there wasn't enough evidence despite him failing a polygraph, despite all these coincidences, but police followed the suspect and a $25,000 reward for the information, and the reward was put out by a private business. Two months after the arrest of the suspect, a witness, a woman, came forward and claimed she saw Linda with a man on the night of a murder. She successfully picked the suspect out of a photo lineup as a man. She did not want to be a witness because she believed he saw her as well. In 2003, Howard Gay died. So, more likely, I'm not going to say 100% certain on it doesn't even be specific who she picked out. So I can't say, nor can you, it was 100% Howard Gay, but it's looking more to be Howard Gay. It's the coincidences, it's the times that he left, it's where he worked. Because if I remember correctly, I think there's a mechanic place right next to the lagoon, or really close to the lagoon. Not only that, but he seemed to have a fetish with bondage. At the same time, he did seem pretty, pretty charming. But once again, he knew who to lure in. It's like Ted Bundy. You know, Ted Bundy was a charming man with a 
fabulous personality, but at the same time he knew that his personality would help him. It's kind of similar to this this case right here with the suspect. As stated, they said that he picked out vulnerable people. He seeked that opportunity and he had opportunity to be in those areas or work within or work you know, near or live within. You know, I'm not saying this Howard guy had a great personality. You know, I guess if nowadays you bring a bondage and you're a serial killer, I guess you have a charming personality. I don't know. But at the same time, how gay seems to be the guy. I hate to say it, and I can't be 100% certain, but he seems to actually be the killer. If you ever notice though, too, that after the last victim, this was when the roadblocks were being set up and a witness or two came forward, it stopped, the murder stopped. It was kind of weird that Howard Gay did come out to the police, say there was a body because he was a psychic and there was nobody. Seemed like he planted himself in the investigation. Like I said, we can't say it was him. We can't 100% say it was him, but I'm 95% certain it was him. This this whole crime was actually covered on some media in 2017. It was covered by Case File 2 Crime Podcast 2018. The ID Network Breaking Homicide covered it and same year my favorite murder podcast covered it. Now we covered it. So, I don't know what else to say. That's literally it. We can't say there was 100% perfect suspect. Next time, we will continue. Sunday's podcast will continue going out. Um, let me check really fast on when the new series does start. I think it's May 19th is the first one, then May 25th the second one. Let me check really fast. Okay, there we go. The first trailer for the post-mortem files will be going out on the 26th of this month. May 19th is the first episode of 
the postmortem files. We are going to look into Bonnie and Clyde. Um, and then the second series is a spin-off series, but it deals with truck drivers. It goes out on the 28th of May. Then a new trailer drops on June 2nd. It will be called Without a Trace, that's a series name. Um, don't know if it's going to be season 2 yet. I know which 100% which will be a season 2. But I don't know if this one will yet. Um, if it does, it will feature more on people disappearing within woods or national parks or whatnot. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, then the first trailer for the miniseries or an anthology podcast that I'm going to be doing will be released August 20th. The series will be called It Came From The Forest and the first episode will be taking place in Omaha, Nebraska. And first season or the series I should say comes out October 5th and will only continue until the end of October which I think the last episode is October 26th so I hope you guys are looking forward to that once again if you want to know which series are coming out follow my Facebook page after Dark Podcast, or actually called After Dark Coast to Coast Killers. Once again, the Facebook page is called After Dark Coast to Coast Killers. I've been posting updates. I'll continue to post updates. I'll post episodes. See you next time with episode 6 of Coast to Coast Killers.